You are listening to the Massive Report Podcast. Welcome to the Massive Report Podcast here at Saucy Brewworks. Uh, guys, I have to apologize in advance. I'm really tired this morning. I went to the Austin 2 post-game celebration last night at the new Chuck E. Cheese's on Morse Road. <laughs> Anthony That's got right, stuck. Next to my house. He got stuck up in the jungle gym. It was a whole thing. Lathered so, in queso? Yeah, so... Well, we had to cover him in queso to slide him out of there. So it was a whole thing. Best day ever. Whole thing. So congratulations to them, I guess, as they had a good time getting those little tickets, trading them in for trinkets and bobbits there, bobbles or swag. Chuck E. Cheese's last night. I thought Chuck E. Cheese's went out of business, and all of a sudden they opened a new one. Yeah, I thought so, too, until I was driving by one time, and I was like, what in the world is happening here? Aren't you glad your children are old enough that they don't go there anymore? My children never liked going there, even when they were young. The smell of urine never leaves. (laughs) Never leaves, though. It's PTSD on that. Uh, Brett's here, Murph is here, Sam is here, and behind the controls, my name is Brian. Like and subscribe to Massport Podcast. We will get to crew, too. It was a great season. I'm going to save that for the end, breaking down uh, uh, the penalty kick awarded to Austin last night. That was something else, but apparently at that level, when you trip over the ball, it can cause problems. I understand. The ball is round and your foot is flat. Sometimes... Physics being what it is, you get the call. And sometimes what's five feet in front of you, you might think it's something else entirely. So really it was a foul against physics, against science. And, and yeah. really, they make arch supports for flat feet, right. just saying. <laughs> right. But let's talk about the first team who just take care of business on Saturday night after surrendering an early goal. They beat Montreal 2-1, to one, and it wasn't even really that close, was it, Brad? No, I. it was... Uh, it was kind of started how we we all kind of thought it would, and uh, yeah. you know if we kind of reference the previous Mass Report podcast, right, where we all thought kind of Montreal would come out guns a blazing and get an early goal, and that's exactly what they did, and then cream rises to the top as it often does, and the crew go on and kind of cruise control from there. Yeah, I I was just really impressed with their response. Uh, not surprised, because I think we've seen them kind of respond to those situations um, before. Uh, CPD also, you know, impressed. The, they are pretty much making a they weekly are, appearance. They are also report responding. At this point. Um, Which is interesting, because we're not in, like, a bad neighborhood. Or, no. There are some fire trucks, though, sometimes. Sure. So. The, anyway. Uh, but, yeah, it, I don't know. It was... Um, you know, it was kind of interesting. I thought uh, the what they what the crew kind of showed was like, yeah, that went that goal went in. We didn't like kind of getting caught coming out the back end, but we've also given up that goal fifteen different times this year. Uh, but they went and they created uh, all the you know same chances you expect them to create. I thought uh, Multi Amundsen uh, really showcased. I think the the crossing and, and playing ability there on the left side and then with that pairing of Matan um, which there seems to be something with Matan coming in from the left on his right foot and creating goals. Three of the last four have basically started that way. Um, that uh, you know, they were creating chances through that. The That kind of slip ball in and into the channel to the wing back and then a wing back cross in and around the corner. Cucho had what, probably four or five of those um, in that game. It didn't finish any of them, but, like, 
you kind of like his chances if they're able to do like that that same amount you know come postseason so it was the perfect kind of primer i think in terms of what you wanted to see from the crew going into the postseason and then on top of that you know the win actually meant something which is the fact that they jump into a ccl spot so um yeah i didn't even we didn't even talk about that last week yeah we? it, well it kind of i don't know it's ccc ccc yeah, yeah whatever um also true but uh, yeah i mean it, i don't know it's it was i thought it was just solid all around um and you know, darlington nagby popping up in the you know zone 14 is something we've been begging bangers, for bangers for, only since uh i don't know since he showed up in columbus and every time he does he usually happens uh, you know to to kind of make something happen and find a way to either put the ball in the back and then himself or create something and he did just that so very cool I missed the beginning of the game, leaving Ohio State post-game stuff, and uh, <clears throat> I get in my car, and I couldn't find it on the radio, so I was like, all right, I'll... It's not easy to find. Yeah, well, with college football stuff, I assumed it would be on 1460. It wasn't on 1460. Anyway, that doesn't matter. But I put it on my phone, just like the TV broadcast, and played it through the Bluetooth. I didn't even realize that they were down until I was sitting at a light right by the stadium waiting to park, and I looked down at my phone and was like, oh, they're losing, like... It was, you know, by they quickly flipped the script back on them, and Cucho's goal came right before I got to the stadium. Um, but it just, from listening to it, I will say the uh, the broadcast crew. I don't know who they were this week, but uh, Tyler Terrence and uh, Devin Kerr, I believe. One of them mentioned they were talking about Diego Rossi and that trade. And they mentioned that he went from Southern California to Quebec. And I was like, I don't think that's how that worked at all. <laughs> he went from Southern California to Turkey to Columbus. But uh, since we've made fun of a lot of other people in the broadcast. But when, uh, we, when we talk about playoffs uh, a little bit later in the show, kind of the bracket, uh, I will, we'll, I'll mention Ross Smith and whatever the heck is going on with that man's accent uh, <laughs> is jarring when we talk about Red Bulls and Nashville. Uh, absolute menace in the, uh, the accent world uh, is Ross Smith. Canadian, Scottish, well, I don't know right, what it is. Right. It's incredible. Um, but I do think, look, this was like a pretty professional performance from yeah. these guys. I don't even know if they ever really got out of like second gear. Uh, you know, defensively, I thought, other than I guess giving up the goal, they were pretty good. Um, I will be interested. Camacho was, was limping around pretty good towards the end of that game. So now they have a decent break here before they actually get into the playoffs, surprisingly. But you obviously, I think he's started to settle into this team, and they have a lot of different ways that they can line up defensively. You know, you can play Zawatsky as a left center back. You can pull, you know, they just have a number of different guys. I'll be interested just as you move through the playoffs, and not only the different teams you're going to face, but the scenarios. You know, if you're you're going on the road trying to protect a lead in game two, or you know, if you need a goal at some point, and they, you know, kind of how they how they do things. And you know, we, we also saw Mo Farsi come in for the end of that game and you know, it looked like Mo Farsi and whatnot. Um, but yeah, my, that was kind of my impression was like, they just went out and handled their business. Yeah, they gave up the early goal, but got it back pretty quickly. Um, and then just kind of you know, got the job done. Didn't, you know, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't their most effective night offensively, but they didn't need it to be. And you know, against us, a Montreal team that needed everything they could get from that game. I think that's was a solid way to go about it. It still created, uh, you know, probably eight really good yeah, chances. Yeah. X goals was, I think, just over three. Um, and I think if you if you looked at that, those two stats alone, you would expect the crew to win probably ninety percent of the time. And so, yeah, I totally agree. 
Well, Montreal certainly got some great goalkeeping in that game, too. Monster. Yeah. And it could have been another one of those. It could have been four or five to one. Yeah, that's uh, true. I, we saw they, two great goalkeeping performances against black and gold teams. Yeah. Uh, back-to-back nights, actually. Yeah. But uh, Austin FC's dude, mm-hmm. the second team there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know. They noted on the broadcast that uh, Montreal up front seemed to quit playing, which was interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, they weren't doing a whole... Like I said, when I was just listening to the broadcast, they weren't, you know, and I'm trying to drive too, so they probably mentioned the fact that the crew were losing. Um, but, you know, I'm swerving in and out of traffic to get down there quicker. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it did seem like they could have thrown a bit more at the crew, um, especially once you get a lead. You know they're going to push, so you're going to have space in behind. It was just a for a decision day game, which tend to be kind of weird and like, you know, just a lot's on the line, right? So you, you can have some crazy things happen. It was just kind of like, it felt just like a middle of the regular season game. Like nobody, you know, the crew didn't really throw numbers forward when they were down because they didn't need to. And Montreal, I didn't feel like, was a team desperate for making the playoffs. Exactly. And, yeah. I think that they grossly miscalculated. On, it's obvious that they got that lead and said, well, all right. I, I think this is going to be good enough. At worst, we get a draw. Mm-hmm. And, of course, their playoff position was snatched from them at the death by Red Bulls converting a penalty kick and knocked themselves right out of the playoffs. Yeah. I, I mean, I, so I, I had I had Chris on the – I had Chris Dorn on for the game. I, so I didn't really – catch what what uh you know Devin and um Tyler might have said in terms of what they thought of you know Montreal's kind of front three but they you know it's it's weird that I know that they've they've kind of peaked and valleyed a little bit Mm -hmm. in terms of some of the um some of the buy-in there a little bit um but yeah I think they I think you know I I agree with the you know, kind of the idea that I think they got that first goal and were like, okay, we're good. We're, we're fine. We're fine. And then, but they, but they just didn't have the ball enough in my mind to really, to, to really be able to even throw numbers at the crew. It, it was that they just looked physically, once Piet came out of the game, especially, they looked physically incapable of even winning the ball back and then keeping it for an extended period of time. Um, and, uh, but I think, too, if we think about decision days in years past with the crew, but also if you look at what happened kind of league-wide uh, over the weekend, yeah, that was by far the maybe the most tame game we had. Yeah. Um, which feels a little weird and perhaps maybe kind of, un- you know, we're not maybe used to that in some ways. But, um, yeah, you would have expected more, like, desperation or whatever. And I think part of it, too, is, like, you know, the Hernan Losada basically got run out of D.C. because of a player rebellion. And I know that the, the, you know, the trainings there were nuts and he was checking, personally checking like body mass index and stuff of guys. And like, you know, like the whole thing was chaos at, at times. And so I wonder a little bit about kind of team chemistry and how that might be a problem. I thought it was really telling in a lot of ways when everybody was kind of when they were all at the end you know standing there watching the game or sitting there watching red bulls nashville on the ipad 
that when the goal went in, Losada just went and bleeped off right into the locker room. No, I didn't room even notice. And didn't say a word to anyone on his staff. He just went inside, and I kind of thought that was telling bit of body language there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was, the whole thing was funky from from their standpoint. I don't, know. I don't quite I don't quite get it. But there you go. There's there's your uh, you know early holiday. Yeah. You know, make vacation plans now. Well, the big worry here, and maybe it's not a worry at all, but Diego Rossi didn't even dress. Yeah. Uh, what a, was it? Just cautionary? Yeah. So we when we were out there Wednesday, Wednesday at practice, um, he was doing some stuff with the trainers on the side. It was a thigh injury is what they listed it as. I don't think it's anything too concerning. I mean, if they had to play, like, in the wild card maybe here coming up this week, maybe you're a little bit more. But the fact that you have over a week now, um, and I think he probably, if they needed him, could have played. I mean, this is the nice thing about, you know, I've personally said that I haven't liked his, when Matan's on the field as much. I thought he was really – he's been really good recently. Really, since I criticized Last him, so three weeks, he's been really out of him. Yeah, um, you just have options, right? So you don't have to push a guy back. Um, but I do think I don't think it's anything too too concerning. You know, if he hadn't been in training at all, then I think you're talking about something different. But the fact that he was out there and running and you know that type of stuff, he's he's working his way back from whatever he did to his thigh. You're mentioning Camacho limping. Other than that, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head. Yeah. We go in after a long season, for the most part, pretty healthy. I thought Rudy looked like it was cramp, cramping yeah. there. He did get so, stretched out, but there was uh, a play like right before that when he like went down and was like grabbing at his leg. Uh, and I, I don't know, you know, the I think part of, you know, the he his his fitness level, again, has been a bit of a question for me because we've seen him obviously subbed out a couple different times when you kind of wouldn't expect a, a center back, yeah. especially someone in the center of a back three, to, to be uh, pulled out. So I wonder a little bit in terms of how many minutes and, like, um, you know, like to put, like, a percentage on it. Like, is, when he came into the crew, was he, like, at 70% or whatever that might be? Um, and so are they kind of is – that, was, was, was that his kind of starting point? Um, did Montreal taper off his biz, uh, his minutes before they traded him? I don't. I think I, he played uh, like in the, especially in the the, the the Canadian Domestic Cup or whatever that whatever that's yeah. called, um, right up until basically, um, you know, he came to Columbus. So, um, and then the the League's Cup kind of thing was was also made it a little bit funky. But um, I, I don't know. I think that in in my mind, I, I don't. I don't really feel like it was that serious, and but the big thing I think is the fact that they they've earned the rest that they have now between yeah. the the weekend and this first playoff game, um, and and I think that's you know part of the benefits of you know the seating and all of that like uh, in this new format like if you play well enough during the regular season you do get an opportunity to get up off your feet for a little bit uh, and maybe recover in, in a sense before. You know the the games get real uh, come postseason. Do you were you surprised that it was as long of a break between these? Like I figured they would play next weekend. Uh, you know, I, I kind of thought maybe they. I was surprised that we. Um, the part of it I know is it it's a it's a macro recovery thing. So because the the wild card play in game teams played the 
the previous weekend. They have a short window to play that game. I think they're Wednesday night. Um, So they probably don't want to protract that window or contract that window any any more by forcing them to play the following weekend and essentially have these guys playing three, uh, well, two for sure, do or die games in eight days, maybe three if you count that first playoff game uh, against the, you know, the, you know, respective one seed. So I'm guessing that's why is they wanted to give that yeah. whatever the, those two teams win and get into the, the final spot to give them adequate time to be able to rest from the previous weekend. That's my guess. It is interesting, though, because the, the first round of the best of threes, that begins on Saturday with Philly and New England, LAFC and Vancouver. Sunday, three matches, including whoever Cincinnati is going to play. And then Monday, come on, phone, two matches. And then we get the longest break right. yeah. with Atlanta, a standalone game on Wednesday, November 1st. So nine days from now. Yeah. And yeah I'm not complaining from a personal standpoint because no? it doesn't interfere with other things. Now, maybe they, you know, I don't know how much they take into account what else is going on in your town, but obviously... Ohio State football is away next week, but there's still a game that yeah. is a night game. So maybe they, I don't know, again, if the league thinks about these things or if they talk with the team, but you'd prefer it to not be on going on at the same time as that, though they haven't had issues selling out that stadium regardless. But, right. Um, and game one is sold out, by yes, the way. Yes, yep. Uh, and so sold out in two hours, by the way. Yeah. That's, it continues to be pretty impressive. Um, how do you feel about this group going in right now um you know it was interesting i well you know you're kind of looking at it's it's funny when you compare the brackets of the eastern and western conference and you look at the western conference and you're like it's pretty clear who i would expect to come out of of that and play an mls cup just because the bottom uh, Houston is the only kind of wild card in my mind where, like, they seem pretty hot and there seems to be something in the water down there a little bit that maybe they can kind of keep conjuring up some of that magic. Um, but I think it's it's pretty clear that it's a Seattle uh, and St. Louis. Louis kind of kind of one-two there that I uh, would be a little surprised if either one of them don't make it to MLS Cup. If you look at the Eastern Conference, it's like I think literally every team, maybe with the exception of New England, given the chaos that's everything that's going right. on with them, um, and they lost the, this previous weekend, which kind of led to the whole Red Bulls chaos uh, and getting in in some way, or the uh, the crew chaos and getting into CCA. So I'm going to call it CCC. We're going to get there eventually, not CCL. <laughs> um, but uh, like. It's like who do who do would you rather play Nashville? Probably not, but yeah. Atlanta's super dangerous. Um, uh, the uh, the Tiago Almada red card, um, yeah, is not good. Uh, and like if it happened in July, homeboys probably picking up another game. Uh, I didn't just, see the play. So basically, it? it's a he just re, like flips out and kicks one of Cincinnati's. Uh, center backs like they kind of like get tangled so up a little bit over. off the ball it's like I don't know how the ref saw it because like they he gets a he gets like breaded like right away um, yeah like it's if it had been a different if, if it's not in you know the, the last game of the regular season and Atlanta is you know this team that MLS wants to you know kind of 
prop up as you know one of the you know five or six kind of teams that's on on the pedestal yeah he'd absolutely be looking at like two games or three but i would be shocked if anything beyond the that first suspension so um so there's no chance they could appeal this and they lift it entirely if they well i'm sure they'll try but like it's, How does I, that work for the playoffs? Because you obviously, for the regular season, you only have so many times you can... I don't really know, and yeah. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure in terms of what their red card count and then the corresponding appeals work, but, like, um, that play specifically is, like, a violent conduct play that... Yeah. It, it, it was very reminiscent of Luis Diaz's red card against D.C. last year, um, where, uh, though, I think... I think it was against Kai, right? Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Kai, Kai probably earned that one uh, in terms of getting getting smacked a little bit. Uh, I don't think I forget the name of the Cincy defender. Probably did not. Um, but they with um, with Guac and, and uh, Lubinice, um they they're just so dangerous. Caleb Wiley is kind of a weird positional guy left back that I think is basically playing like the you know left-footed Brooks Lennon role even though Brooks Lennon didn't start um, against Cincinnati um, but it, it's it's kind of it's just wild like that you know a, the crew getting a top three seed and you get a team that's absolutely positively capable of, of winning MLS Cup uh, in that first round yeah and it's not and that's not to say that I think basically everybody minus maybe whoever gets, you know, whoever uh, wins and, and plays Cincy, uh, everybody's got their hands full in that, in that first round. So it's, um, so to, to answer the question, that's a roundabout way of kind of explaining that I, I'm, I'm like obviously optimistic. I think this crew team and, and just the attacking um, ability cures so many back end ills that I think they do have in, in defense, but um they, they have to play really, really well to advance. It's not something where I think you're sleepwalking a little bit in that first round. Because if they are, they'll go out and they'll get absolutely drilled. Um, because I think this Atlanta team is more than capable of, uh, of, of doing that. Because uh, we've seen them do it uh, at a number of different occasions this so, so far this year. How much do you think that the fact that they're not going by aggregate scoring changes how the teams play those games. Oh, I don't think you'll see teams protecting leads in the same way that you kind of did. Don't need to. Um, like, I, like you know, it's like um, we think about like Harrison Offel's goal against NYCFC, like the the crazy darting run that he finishes with the left foot, right? And that, that, I think that was the fourth goal in the game and finished four one. But it turns out to be one of the most important goals in Crew history because of what happened in the in the second leg and the aggregate scoring that happened at, at Yankee Stadium when they played, um, you know, a week or so later. Like, I kind of think we're robbed a little bit of some of that, like, crazy, intangible, very soccer-specific weirdness that, you know, we all kind of love. Um, but we also, you know, we, what we said in the last podcast, Brian, you don't have to explain aggregate goal scoring to the, you know, <laughs> all, the, all the shield-wearing, you know, neutrals that are out there just consuming MLS across the board and buying up. Uh, you know, season passes like it's nobody's business. But, um, yeah, I think you'll see, quote, unquote, better games. But the, the chaos factor that we all kind of know and love in terms of the MLS Cup playoffs that we've seen over the course of, um, you know, the entirety of the league, I don't know if we get that in the same way. I think it'll be a little bit different. Well, I think uh, for the most part, 
teams that go up at home are going to play very conservative in game two on the road. That makes sense. I don't see the crew doing that. No. I don't think the crew know. I don't think they have like the whole like play conservative kind of thing in there. I don't think that's a philosophical option for them in any way. But I don't think I would be a little bit surprised if it happens uh, anywhere, unless there's like a unless you like win like three zero, right? Then maybe you come out and you're a little bit more um, kind of neutral. But like, I, I just don't see any of those first round games being anything but close, great games. So I think it, you'll see teams coming out trying to fly all over the place. It, maybe that first that first game is a little bit cagier and a little bit more hesitant. I kind of think you're going to see everybody go out guns blazing from the from the word go. And there are no ties, right? That's I mean, we jump from 90 minutes to PKs. Yeah, which nobody wants. Nobody it's, wants it's it. Bizarre. The players don't want it. So they're going to be doing everything they can to untie tied games. At the, end. In the last five minutes if games are tied are going to be very weird because they're going to teams. You're going to have to see coaches and staffs balance trying to win the game or not lose the game in those last five minutes, while also trying to make sure they have the right guys on the field to take penalties, which I think is very stupid and very kind of manufactured. I don't love that either. Maybe that offsets the aggregate goal situation. Fair enough. Possibly. Well, we've, we've, played some great games with Atlanta in the past. I think, again, to the one I referenced a couple of weeks ago, that nil-nil playoff game a few years back. The best nil-nil game I've ever seen. Yeah. It was absolutely end-to-end. I expect this to be the same. These two teams know each other very well. We throw out the first game back in March, 6-1. to one. Atlanta was down many important players. It, that wasn't a real measure right. of anything other than you know the crew took care of business big time. That 1-1 draw, it was sort of, well, that's what we do. We got a lead, and we blow it at the death, giving up a dumb goal. This game one is everything. We have to win it, right? You go down to Atlanta, down a game, you don't like your chances. And I I think especially with that, with what the Benz is like um, in terms of real tangible kind of home field advantage, I I think that's a very real thing. Um, yeah, and their record. I mean, they're ten three yeah. and four at home, three six and eight on the road. That's a worse away record than the crew have, and we bitch about the crew, you know, yeah. being bad on the road all year. Now, obviously, the crew had some good results here towards the end of the season. Also, Atlanta's given up fifty three goals, and you obviously know the crew can score. So, you know, if you can if you can get on them early at home, especially, I think that you know, again, aggregate doesn't matter, but you, know, you certainly think you like your chances there. I think. We talked about Almeida sitting on the red card. Let's just assume that he's going to miss game one and that's it. What do they miss with him off the field? Uh, like uh, you go from like a V6 engine to like a four or whatever. I don't know cars. But was, I, I got out over my skis as soon <laughs> as it, I What's his game? What is he? For the he end drives season, everything. He he's, I mean, he's everything. He's, he, he's, you know, the... Uh, to, to, to steal a baseball reference, he's the straw that stirs the drink. Um, and but he he what the biggest thing that he does is he brings the middle of the field and, and makes that that dangerous. And where a lot of teams struggle to make the middle of the field 
especially in the mid block, but in, I would argue sometimes in their own attacking third as well, um, to make that an opportunity to be able to score goals from that, to be able to create chances. Um, he, he provides um, such a dynamic like option for them that I think makes the middle of the field dangerous, so you have to concentrate, and then I think it also then obviously with all their wide play, it, it, it even makes that even more dynamic as well. So you're, you're taking, um, I think, probably, you know, it's not, it's, I would say it's not even a question. You're taking their best player off the board. Um, but they're also still very, very dangerous. I think the, um, uh, you know, the, with Guac Striker, he's, you know, he kind of looks like Zlatan sometimes out there. His <laughs> inside the box, his inside the six movement is about as good as anybody we have in the a league. A brace against SA. Uh, and that was it in terms of like two poaching goals. Those two goals in the first half um, are him just like just absolutely making, you know, guys, uh, center, central defenders look like fools with some just quick pulling away runs, getting across, and then just basically getting a foot in, ta- foot in front and tapping the ball in. Um, so they have to be mindful of that. They do have some really – they have some very dynamic and athletic players off the bench as well. Um, so uh, it's a huge loss for them, but I do think they're still able to be relatively dangerous. I think it's just it's, – it's, you know, you're, you're reducing maybe some of the, the Ferrari-like kind of nature that they can have at times when Almada's out there, you know, absolutely just making things happen. Um, but, you know – at the same time, I do think they look um, – they feel very similar to me in the crew in some ways that they get caught up the field too much. And if you think about the way that the crew scored against against them down in Atlanta, mm-hmm. it came from basically a, a turnover, counterpress, the crew win the ball back, they beat one guy, and it's Aiden Morris uh, kind of running 3v2.5. And now the crew get a kind of a fortunate deflection and falls to Cucho and Cucho finishes. But it was, there were several of those moments where it felt like the crew had opportunities to turn on a counter press and, and come out the other way. And Atlanta doesn't have enough people to come back. Uh, doesn't have enough people behind the ball to be able to kind of recover, get back and, and defend in numbers. So I think um, the... You'll see maybe the crew with a little bit more of the ball than maybe you would expect if they were if Atlanta was at full strength. But mm-hmm. I think the the big thing is that the they Atlanta feels in my mind somewhat vulnerable um, in defense. I think that it's the the crew are actually going to be able to create a number of of, of really great chances and probably score at least two goals uh, as well. I mentioned this real quick. <clears throat> I think last week when we were talking about it, we were talking specifically about Cucho. And how he had mentioned in a press conference recently that he was really excited to play in the playoffs because he didn't get the chance to do it last year. And obviously this is a, a big stage. I think there's a number of these guys that, that feel like, okay, the team, you know, obviously the roster's changed quite a bit. But for one reason or another, haven't gotten that opportunity. Um, you know, like, I, I think of a guy like Julian Gressel, who has played in the playoffs, don't get me wrong, but... You know, probably doesn't get the respect he deserves around this league. I mean, we obviously talk about him, and, and I think we all kind of knew who he was before he came to the crew, but you, know, you have a big playoff. You know, this is a chance for a guy like that to showcase himself. Um, 
You know, we, we were talking about Matan earlier. I think there there's a lot of opportunity here for for these guys, and especially because you're playing a team like Atlanta, as you mentioned. The, the league will highlight this game. It's a standalone game on that Wednesday, so there will be eyeballs on this. Um, and I think a, it's different because the Apple TV allows anyone to watch games, but I wonder if people from around the league, especially Western Conference people, you know, I'm talking fans here, not, not media, have just kind of heard about the crew all year and you see the numbers and whatnot, but maybe tuning in to these games and surprised by what this team has to offer because um, I do think it's a big platform. Also a big platform from Wil- Wilfred Nancy, who's yeah. what Montreal go out in the first round last year after mm-hmm. their best season ever. Um, so he's a guy who's gotten a lot of buzz for, for very good reason, but you've got to get it done in the postseason to be a successful, you know, be considered among the, the best coaches in the league here. What a matchup, really, because Atlanta is an outlier as far as how many goals they've surrendered this season. They're surrounded at the bottom of that statistical category by clubs like Toronto, Miami, Montreal. Charlotte did make the playoffs barely. Chicago, D.C. United. Not great teams. And in the West, of course, it's the same deal. I mean, and the crew are an outlier in that their goals surrendered have been good enough and they've scored more than anybody else in the league. So I think as critical as we've been in the defense, I mean, good enough. Now, obviously, luck is involved in regression going either direction. But if Atlanta defends the way they've been defending all year, they got to play us a maximum of three times. I don't see it going very well. Yeah, you would, I, I think it's like it, I think if you're a crew fan, you know that this is a very dangerous Atlanta team attacking wise, but you're still extremely confident in what the crew bring to the table because of how uh, you know how they've looked on a relative consistent basis in terms of their own attacking abilities. So it's like you know I kind of think it's part of it. I think too for me is we we've been so conditioned. Uh, by all, some of the craziness that we've seen in the MLS Cup playoffs over the last, I don't know, 15 years, that you kind of expect, like, not the worst to happen, because I think that's maybe my Ohio sports fan talking mm-hmm. there, but, like, it's more of, like, you expect just, like, chaos and, like, weird things to happen. And, like, because we haven't really ever seen chalk, right, ever, and in and, and, and the MLS Cup playoffs. No. And, like, in some ways, I think, like, the... It's like, it's like, oh, you know what? If you actually like maybe peel a layer or two in this game, it's like, yeah, I think maybe this crew team is just a, is is superior to Atlanta, and probably superior to Orlando. And then like, and, as and, long and, as they don't shoot themselves in the foot, right? You know, don't give up four stupid goals. Um, but and then and and probably on even ground with with Cincinnati, right? Like that. I think there's there's an opportunity to kind of feel almost like. Like you're the pedigree here, act like it. You're you're the benchmark. You're the measuring stick, um, and, and everyone else is trying to play up to your standard. And I think that's a mindset we have to kind of massage our way into. Because, but I think that's actually how the crew are right now this season, because of just how brilliant they have looked basically since last week of June. Um, and then into League's Cup, they've been all, 
minus a couple like kind of crazy finishes, they've looked really, really, really good, especially in the attacking third. The I was just thinking through this in my head <clears throat> from the 2020 like you know legitimate contributors got Darlington that are still on the roster now. Darlington, Aiden, Marrera. Is that it? I mean, Matan was around, but wasn't doing... Yeah, that's... I mean... Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really... That's really it. It's funny to think. It's been three... It seems like a lot longer ago because of what we went through the last few years. That was only three years ago. I mean, this roster really has turned over, yeah. well, as I, you would expect. Well, and we were just talking about... With some, I was just talking with some friends about how different this roster looks compared to last year. Or a few it's months crazy. ago. <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild, the turnover yeah. there. Yeah. Well, they they really rebuilt the guts of this team on the fly during this season. And, and we go back to the beginning, and it was wasn't looking that great, you know. So it, to see Nazi's plan come to fruition right in front of our eyes, with us sitting here going, well, I don't know, I don't know, what's he doing, what's he doing? I mean, all credit. Because he had to, he, he had to put blinders on. And go, this is the plan. This is what we're doing. Oh wait, Lucas is gone. Now we're screwed. And and uh, credit to the front office as well for quickly remedying that situation, shoring up the back with Camacho. Um, it's really been something else. I don't know of any other roster of a successful team that's turned over this many guys on the fly it's been an incredible success like I, I think about kind of how we talked about the the first couple games and how like oh my god Patrick Schulte who is it like crew two is it MLS next pro is not first teams like right. it but like has the dude outside of like some substitution issues but in terms of personnel has anyone made a mistake have they missed on anything? You, Will Sands looks like 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 young player of the year. I know that's not what it's called anymore, but like in, in the first couple games, he tears an ACL. You need to find somebody because you don't have another guy on the roster. You pull multi Amundsen out of nowhere, and homeboy is like a locked in in sharpie starter for Scores you. Scores his first game like, with us, right? And Gustavo Viancia comes out of you're like, who is this bleeping dude? Comes in and plays really well for you over the course of about six or seven weeks. And we've, we've completely forgotten about and he him. Doesn't, yeah. He's not even on the team anymore. Right. I just want Jerry. I watched a little bit of Seinfeld there over the last <laughs> couple weeks. Um, it, but, like, Amundsen's been fantastic. Gustavo Viancia's been just fine for the when, when he played. Rudy Camacho comes in and, and is, I think, basically hit the ground at a full sprint as much as homeboy can sprint. Yeah. Uh, Julian, <laughs> Gr they go out and get the best right wing back in the league for peanuts. And, like, it's it's been outrageous in terms of some of the decisions just from, from or some of the, the personnel that they brought in. And then on top of that, the elevating of the Crew 2 guys has been, they've been proven right across the board as far as I'm concerned. Schulte... <clears throat> Excuse me. Schulte's been more than fine, I think. Uh, Zawadzki is the, the Pedro Santos, you know, Swiss Army Knife player of the year. Um, 
Uh, they uh, should, that should be the name of that award. They should, <laughs> that the, I, they should bring back crew awards just for that. Yeah. I agree. That would be fun. And, and, well, and we 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 uh, we celebrate and unveil unveil them all at casino night. Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the the crew two guys that have been contributing to the team as well um, have been. Uh, you know, hits across the board. Steven Marrera going from right back to right center back. I think he leads the lead, led the league in completed passes this year, which is incredible. Um, and then you got everything that you would expect out of, um, you know, out of out of D, out of Aiden. Cucho turns into, you know, kind of all the potential that you would expect him to have. Lucas Ella around probably is like second in the MVP race if he's still here. You lose maybe your best player and you maybe even got better. Uh, it's been Christian Ramirez has been outrageous. We, we should talk about him in terms of guys they brought right. in as well. Um, in terms of like new faces, bringing in guys and then elevating dudes from the reserve team, it's been an out. You're, you're, are you batting a thousand right now? You pretty much are. And, and not only that, you also have two players that were basically almost completely written out in Matan and Yao Yaboa that that. Caleb didn't really get much out of. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're basically almost, for, for a good chunk of the season, they were your starters. Yeah. And they were contributing. Crazy. All right, let's go back to game two of the season. You remember our trip to Toronto? I yes. can't remember that far, that Brian. That was back in March. I tried to get the lineup for the first game of the season to come out, but there was an error on the, on the page here. But here's your lineup for a 1-1 draw Hebe. at Toronto. Yeah. Room and goal. Milos. Philip Quinton. Who was, by the way, real quick, not dressed, like was on the field afterwards in street clothes. I thought for sure he'd play for Crew 2 and then did not. Anyway, go ahead. He's just been training and that's it? Yeah. They still like him. They just didn't. I think it was a little too quick for him. Steve Morea, Aiden Morris, Darlington Nagby, Yaboa, Farsi, Cucho, Lucas, Matan. Coming on as a sub and scoring the lone goal that night, Jimmy Madranda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how much it's changed. One That's of the a good goal, top too. five goals of the year, yeah. too, probably. Yeah, is Jimmy still on the team? <laughs> yes, yeah. he's he still was on the bench. On the roster. Yeah, I he will say bench, this, and we'll talk about crew two in a minute. I didn't know what to expect yesterday, but we didn't play any uh, veteran players. Nope. Did they? No, right. I don't think so. Very young. Yeah, I don't think so. So I think that that we're seeing the evolution of what Next Pro is supposed to be. It's supposed to. Be. It's not a place to park veteran players that aren't getting minutes. It's to develop kids. So it's just kind of interesting. Are kids. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Some of them had their mom drive them to the game. I think. Literally. Kids don't like to get driver's licenses anymore. So, yeah, it's interesting just to go back. Jake Morris was on the bench, dressed, but did not play, <laughs> you know. It, and, of course, also on the bench, Patrick Schulte. So, interesting, the evolution of the team in just six months. It's a long season, but it goes by in a blink, doesn't it? Very entertaining season. Over, I mean, that, that's a good word for it, right? It's been entertaining. Well, you yeah. want to be entertained. Are you not entertained? Did they did they set the season record, franchise record for goal scored? They, they tied it. Sixty-seven. They tied it. Because I, I know Chris was Chris was mentioning it a couple different times during the broadcast. Yeah, entertaining is the perfect word. Um, it's it's been. Uh, I think it, the, the foil it poses to what we saw from the 2022 Columbus crew has been 
kind of wild. That that juxtaposition feels very strange. Um, and we were not entertained. No, and it was we were frustrated. And it angry was and frustrating, and it was anxious, and it was um, tedious, and there were eggshells, and there was very little joy in that building. Um, and it seems to have gone 180 degrees in the other direction, uh, and that's why. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think Wilfred Nazi's MLS Coach of the Year. That probably goes to. You know, either Pat or uh, St. Louis's head coach, whose name is totally escaping me at the moment, but like homeboy's in the top four, probably for what he gets he's, invited to New York. What he's done uh, <laughs> has been absolutely crazy, and then um, you know the the maestro himself, uh, you know Tim Bezbachenko is running circles around the rest of the league in term at the GM slash president level, and I think we've known that since he got here because he did the same thing in Toronto. Um, and the, the, the duo, the, the kind of the three-headed monster that they have with Bez, Corey Ray, and Issa Tall seems to have been, they, whatever, they, whatever the, the brew that they're cooking up, it's, it's about as good as it gets in MLS. And they all deserve the credit, all the credit in the world for it. So let me ask you this. I, I don't know if you guys can remember that far back. Uh, I don't know if I can, and I don't think for myself I have a definitive answer other than, hmm, this will be interesting. I'm glad we made the change. Let's see what happens. Um, I I think that my opinion about this team solidified early, and it wasn't good based on what we saw in March, which speaks to what we just talked about and and how many changes. When people wanted Bez fired. I don't think I ever did. Seen anybody? That. Is no, that really I, I said thing? when other people wanted. Right. I didn't. No, say I didn't say that. But oh my gosh! I was. Uh, my mind, say anything on my mindset was changing to. All right. Well, new manager, new system. He likes to use kids. This is going to take a while. Is that kind of where you guys were at with this? Yeah. I mean, I think you know, we were right here talking about how you know this team's going to evolve throughout the year. We said that a few times on those early podcasts. Uh, but I don't think any of us were like picking the crew to win MLS Cup, and I think right now you would probably take that bet. Actually, I did bet on the crew to win MLS Cup, but that was just because the odds were really good. So, uh, but no, I think it was probably you know getting to the playoffs. I think is definitely an expectation. But yeah, to what you said, they were going to play young guys. They just gotten rid of Jonathan Mensa. We didn't know what this defense would look like. Um, you know, to your point, Sam, about people wanting Bez fired, I think that was kind of where everyone was frustrated about was like, who are going to be the center backs? And, right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think my personal expectation was this team should be a, especially with the expanded playoffs now, this team should definitely be in the hunt and, and get in. Um, similar to where they'd been the last couple of years, just actually, you know, get over the hump this time and, and get into the postseason and then just kind of see that, see what happens. But, you know, they've definitely exceeded expectations, finishing third and, and really being a contender. We, we didn't even, like, in, in March and April, we were not at any point expecting, not even jokingly, that pundits on TV would call Columbus Crew the most exciting or yeah. the most dynamic yeah. team in the league. So that, that tells you something. I think if you'd have told me that, um, especially after that that second game, that um, the the crew would be, you know, a, one of the favorites to win the league, but you were going to lose Lucas Celarion, Milos, Jonathan Mensa, 
and Aloy Room yeah. along the way. Um, and uh, what's his name? That one too. Shoot. I had a good year last uh, Derek Etienne. Yeah. Like, and Pedro would, Santos. I would have been wondering a little bit as to your relative level of sanity. But um, we were talking offline. Like I, I said, you know, I can't remember a crew team where where my expectations began and where they currently are had as large of a gap between the two points mm-hmm. as, it, as it currently exists. But early on, you made a really good point. You said the team that we're seeing now is going to be very different than the team that we see at the end of the yes. season. And it, that is coming to fruition in, in the best ways possible. And I meant it more in a philosophical way and in kind of a tactical kind of t- tang- intangible way. It's very much very different in, 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 a, in a literal way as well. But um, I think the biggest thing for me is that, and I've, we've said this in the past in some ways, but the, how quickly the learning curve went from we're adapting to we're flying, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's been mind-boggling, and I think that's just an absolute credit to um, the off-field culture and trust that Wilfred Nancy and the staff created to get reciprocal buy-in from the players um, and then giving them the space then to kind of basically eat that elephant in a really quick time and then go and express all the cre- creativity that they they have um, and then turn that into tangible success. So, um, you know, I think like where my expectations are and like what is a successful postseason for this team is probably two different answers. Yeah. Um, which I think is a weird bit of maybe hedging on my part, but because uh, I think they can, I think this team should win MLS Cup. If they don't, I would not necessarily be disappointed. Just given how absolutely outrageously stacked the Eastern Conference is right now, but like I think they're more than capable of winning. And I, I would, I, in my mind, my personal expectations, I think they should. And I think that if we win the cup, we can sit here tonight and know exactly how it's going to go down. Yep. And if we lose in the playoffs. We know exactly how yeah. we're going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to come back to mistakes in the back, either a, a, a poor pass out of the back, intercepted, put in the back of the goal, giving up a, a late set piece. The goals that have killed and sucked points away from this team all season long, that's what's going to happen. The thing I appreciated about Nancy was, and I remember, I think it was Cincinnati game, where we gave up that goal because of a poor pass. He goes, hey, listen, he's playing exactly the way that I've asked him to do. This is on me. Took all of that onto himself. He insisted and continues to insist that that's the way we're going to play out of the back. And it's improved. It's gotten a lot better. He's a lot more cool under pressure. But I love the way that that he took ownership of that in the absolute worst moment of this kid's career, and I think it made a huge difference. And then and I think reflexively too, if you think about, say, like, okay, we we know how this team might lose, so we also kind of know how they're going to win, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and like, like you just said, like it's like, okay, yeah, they're going to go out, they're going to get, they're going to score two early goals, probably get a third in the second half, and then they're going to hang on for dear life <laughs> and win three one, right? Like it's. 
Uh, or they're going to go out and every half chance is going to go in the back of the net and they're going to win 6-0. And it's going to look like they're the freaking, you know, unbeatables or whatever that Arsenal team was from the... The Invincibles. The Invincibles, thank you. I got, I got, I, I got that in the, the Galacticos, the Real Madrid um, world beater team kind of stuck in my head and I got, couldn't pick one uh, of the two. But yeah, it's... Um, it does feel like there's a very clear kind of two paths this team can go down. Um, and I think the thing that's kind of weird is either one, for me, feels like they're progressive steps in the correct direction, which is a very weird thing to say if you're like, oh, I don't, I don't think they're going to win. It's like, but that's still, I think, the next iteration of this, like, really, really, like, crazy steep, you know, kind of curve in terms of, um, you know, progression to the positive that we've seen this club kind of undertake in the last four or five months. Um, it almost, I don't know if it's, I don't know if you would go so far as to say that they're playing with house money. I don't think that's necessarily totally true, but like, they're close to that. They're close to that. So go out, play well. And if they play well, they're probably going to win MLS Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you look them in the eye on TV, I just see nothing but confidence. Yeah, I see totally every agree. man that's suited up for any particular match. I see nothing but belief and confidence, and that's what you like. And when Kevin Molino scores an MLS Cup <laughs> final to win, yeah. I will have my sweet. There's not one disgruntled superstar <laughs> in that room, not and a lot of clubs have that problem. I mean, you know, Toronto has all of it, and that's why they won four games this year. And so, you did have you did have a moment of worry with with Cucho when Lucas got traded. Yeah, yeah. like you're like, okay, this could, this could go really bad, and instead he kind of embraced it. Just stepped up, stepped up, and did his job and more. I mean, that guy's work rate unmatched any superstar in this league. Yeah, uh, and, and crazy around the world when you think about it, his work rate is just he's on. I don't know. I don't know what he does to, to stay in shape, but whatever he's doing, he needs to keep doing push-ups or sit-ups or whatever he's doing. Next level. Who knows? Something. <laughs> uh, rather than pick, and I'll see if you guys disagree, but rather than pick just the score for game one, let's just pick the series. Well, we'll probably, of, we'll probably do a podcast before it starts if we want to wait. Yeah. We still have an extra week. week. Well, that's true. I didn't think of that. So we can yeah, do so that. We can next, preview let's just a bit preview more. the series next week. Yeah. Yeah. Let's kind of stick a yeah, pin yeah. in that. A couple of matters to get to. Crew 2 yesterday. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch the whole game. It seemed clear to me that just as has been talked about, you know, this is a organizational philosophy and we're going to play a certain way. And that makes sense, you know. Uh, it didn't work out, but... You know, great season for our developmental team. It kind of sticks in your craw to lose to Austin. But that's not on these kids. Yeah, that, that's uh, nothing on them. The penalty kick for the Austin first goal was ridiculous. We made sort of uh, offhanded reference to it. I mean, the kid stepped on the ball and fell. The referee was right there, and he missed the call. Well, I, Amongst a whole bunch of other yeah. calls that he missed throughout the game. I've been racking my brain to try and remember a worse penalty call across any league, international or club competition, men or women, 
and I can't... No VAR for this, right? Yeah, I right. know if it was being streamed and, on app. That, and that's something that we, you know, I don't really know some of the bylaws with MLS Next Pro and what whether or not VAR finds in the plans, kind of falls in the plans there. I think it's more of a facilities right. situation Yeah, um, for some of the teams. I would say they're probably set up to be able to do it on a dime, in my mind, and you should probably... It's a final. Let's just do it. You should Everybody probably be able, to, be able to make it happen, yeah. yeah. Um, it's one of, yeah, it's it's the worst penalty call I think I've ever seen. Um, and everybody on Crew 2 knew it, and they had no ability to bounce back and respond from it. Uh, and I don't necessarily fault them for that. I think... Um, They're young. I would, if that would, if, if I was Abdi Muhammad, might not have seen me on the field, um... After that one uh, happened, I I would have probably lost and snapped and said some mean things because um, it was it was that egregious. Um, the you know I haven't watched a ton of Crew Two. Um, this was the first game I had watched from start to finish. The you know the they they there's some patchwork kind of play going on there um, in terms of personnel. Um, the, uh, but I also kind of give them. I also give them credit for basically playing. They danced with the ones that kind of brought them there. You know, I kind of thought you would have been totally shocked to see like, you know, like some of the some of the guys who bounce back and forth a little bit all of a sudden like show up in that game to try and you know elevate themselves or whatever. It was, um, you know, all the guys who've been playing all year long, kind of stuck with it. I like that. You know, we, we could have seen Isaiah Parente, could have seen Jimmy Madranda. Could have yeah. seen some of these guys. Just okay. Well, we'll take it from here, fellas. Thanks for playing. They but probably could have used Jimmy. Uh, yeah. But um, but yeah, it was. Uh, you know, they, I thought they were the vastly superior team to Austin, which looked like they. It was nothing but sixteen and seventeen year olds out there. But uh, whatever that, and I, I'm totally blanking on his name. The the center mid um, for for Austin to made some plays happen in the last 30 minutes that I thought uh, were, like, exceptional. Um, and so they, they've got a really good prospect there. Um, the two goals that they score um, after the penalty basically come from him being, uh, you know, kind of vacuuming up um, and absorbing pressure and then finding an outlet, and then they're kind of off to the races at that point. Um it's a disappointing way to end. They, I don't think that anyone would have expected them to be there given kind of the season that they had. So it's a credit to, you know, them kind of catching fire at the right time. And Laurent Courtois keeps managing to push the right buttons. And, you know, when winning is winning, isn't necessarily like the main thing, right? You know, we are the development is the point. If winning happens while that continues to go on, that's an added bonus. It's a cherry on top. Um, but, and if everything that we've seen from the crew, first team in terms of the crew two guys that graduated um, from the previous year and their the success that they've they've had in MLS keep doing what you're doing guys mm -hmm. because it's obviously working and um, uh, it's a disappointing way to end the season and I feel for them but I I, I think it's nothing but a successful year uh, once again Murph who are we pulling off this team to use next year do you think if you had that <clears throat> yeah I don't know if there's an immediate 
like guy um, to step right in. Like the goalie's good, even though it was three one. I mean, that save yeah. that he made was oh, pretty he's, incredible. He had a been fantastic good. season. Yeah, and it would not surprise me if he ends up somewhere. Um, now he could be Schulte's backup because I wouldn't be surprised if Evan Bush elects to hang it up here yeah. sooner rather than later. Um, but they do have a number of goalkeepers and kind of in the pipeline there. So. Yeah, he, he could be a guy who could be on the bench more next season. Um, but a lot of these kids are young. Or it's like, yeah. you know, a Mario or a Micheletto, who's not going to be, you know, he's kind of, the, he's the captain. He's the leader of this team. He's old, you know, he's 26-ish. He's not coming up to the first team. He's a crew two player. Uh, Noah Fusan's a guy who still young-ish, but probably just not to the MLS level. And then some of the other guys are, are probably just a little younger. Um, but real bright and you know to your guys point you know as we go as we were talking about the first team starting lineup Schulte uh, Russell Rowe Farsi and Sean Zawatsky all I believe started in the final last year Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken and they all played for the first team uh, Saturday night Uh, Phil Quinton obviously we mentioned him too so like it's working, and you've now been to two championship games. And that was something I asked Corey Ray, the, the Crew 2 GM, last week. Like, how much does winning... Because originally they were like, winning's not what this is about, like what you said, Brett. But, like, winning certainly helps, right? Because then people see that, and they want to be a part of what you're doing here. And it's obviously not just Academy kids. They've signed people and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's all moving in a, in a very positive direction. And you know, it's obviously unfortunate that the first time any Austin team comes to Columbus, they not only win, but lift a trophy in your stadium. But yeah, it could be way worse, I think, if it had been with the first team and, and whatnot. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, they don't win it, but I do think there's a lot to like about this team and, and kind of what's in the offing for some of these players. Absolutely. You got the pieces in place. Uh, before we go, to borrow from Pardon the Interruption, Happy trails to Michael Bradley, who retired after Done. Boo. Toronto's game the other night. Absolutely smoked by McGuire uh, for a goal. Though, uh, in the, the final moments of his professional career, it was one of the goals of the year, one of the great individual moments of brilliance. It was uh, an outrageous way to end uh, uh, what's been an, out, uh, an incredibly... Is he truly done, or is he just trying to figure out how to get the hell out of there? So he's done because he just got hired as an assistant coach on his dad's team in Scandinavia. Yeah, somewhere. So I tweeted this a couple weeks ago, and um, uh, during the whole booing kind of uh, thing when they were here, um, that... You know, it's going to be very awkward when Michael Bradley is the U.S. Men's National Team head coach um, in about a decade. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's actually going to be less than that. And I'm going to say plus or minus like seven and a half years, Michael Bradley is us- leading the Men's National Team. should be a okay. bet somewhere. I wouldn't um, be surprised. But uh, the, <laughs> I didn't think of that. There are two things that popped out to me when talking about Mikey um, after the retirement announcement. Um. One is the amount of money that he's made in MLS blew my mind. I think it's $44 million, uh, which is incredible uh, amount of money making it uh, and made in MLS. 
Um, him and Josie, by the way, were talking this graphic that I think was from The Athletic in terms of guys who have made money, the most money over the course of uh, the league. The bottom of the list was Leo Messi at whatever the number was, which is kind of funny. In one year, he's made basically. <laughs> yeah. Also, they moved up one spot in the standings after signing Messi. They were 15th when he signed. They finished 14th. So money well spent. Interesting. Um, but the, uh, uh, the, the, the playing career uh, uh, at the club level, what he was able to achieve in Europe and then how he kind of translated that to MLS is, is a huge success in my mind. But internationally, for representing the men's national team, he's the best midfielder in U.S. men's national team history. He's an absolute lock for a Hall of Famer. Only because Greg won't call me in. Um, and he probably deserved better um, following the, the, the Trinidad and Tobago, Bruce Arena failing to qualify for the World Cup. Um, probably should have been in the next iteration of that group, but kind of got scapegoated with everyone else uh, kind of in that, in that age. Um, so, it, it, you know, congratulations to him on an incredible, incredible career. I'm sure crew fans will boom on the way out the door, and that's just fine. <laughs> um, uh, but, it, yeah, he's a, he's a U.S. men's national team legend. He's an MLS legend as far as I'm concerned, and, uh, um, and then got absolutely smoked in his maybe last few moments as a professional. And the legs just aren't there anymore, and that play proved it uh, in, in maybe an unnecessarily epic way, but pretty much well, epic way. Time as a tendency to win all duels. Uh, also, I don't think we talked about this last week. If we did, forgive me. Happy trails to Wayne Rooney. Do we ever see him on these shores managing again? I could see him bringing a European team over there for one of these <laughs> summer uh, games, summer yeah. showcases or whatever. Right. Uh, I don't know why he would come back to MLS at this point. Um, he hasn't gotten well. No, and, and I, th I believe he said some things kind of about the league since he's taken, where did he end up? Uh, Birmingham. Birmingham. Um, so, look, I think that's where he wants to be, right? Is uh, yeah. I don't know this for sure. This is just kind of speculation on my part, but I think he would prefer to be back at home in England and whatnot. I think this was just an opportunity at a club he obviously played for. Um, I don't. It's not often that a player of that level goes on to become a really successful manager. I mean, yeah. we've seen Thierry Henry give it a try just recently. Uh, that you know, There have been talks about how you know he would get frustrated, even as a player when he came to MLS. Guys that just can't do what he can do. And I think that tends to be the case when, when you're a player that's that good and you're trying to coach guys that aren't at that level. Um, so maybe it, it works a little bit better overseas where the guys are closer to the level he was at. But I think, I don't know, I think with a lot of the most successful managers were like good players but not great players because they had to know yeah, right. all that other well, stuff. Well, it's like baseball. Yeah, best, it's the true the best anything. managers are usually the backup catcher because yeah. yeah. they got a lot of time to sit there and analyze. There's this great story about when Steven Gerrard was at Rangers and he was getting frustrated with one of his players because he couldn't play this like very specific kind of pingy pass Um you know, that was essentially like a big switch. And so it's like Stevie like drops a ball and go, you know, and it's very like scouse accent. Like, no, you do this. And like with like dress shoes on <laughs> hit this like 50 yard ball that knuckled like two feet off the ground. And everyone was like, y yeah, dude, like we can't do that. Yeah. Right. That, like that's just not something we can do. And it was like he like couldn't understand that like 
not only was like we're we, you know, was we're no one on you know no one on that squad was even capable of doing that, but their brains would never even have thought to attempt such a thing because it was so beyond the realm of any physical abilities that they might have. And so I think you see that. Um, you know, I think Henri's another good example. Like how many times did we watch the that one mic'd up where yeah. with, where he's just like where you could just tell he's like these guys suck, man. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, you know I think um, Zidane I think is another one where it's like you know Zidane would be like I could go out and play in my in my dress clothes better than half of these schmucks, uh, and that's like at a Champions League level kind of team. So. Um, yeah, there's definitely something to the best players kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a fairly universal thing. Yeah, yeah don't let you, the door hit you on the way out, Wayne Rooney. See you never. It'd be an interesting study to do. Superstar players in every sport who have been successful as a coach or manager. Bill Russell is probably the only one, right? Yeah. Uh, Mitt. How good were Deion Magic's Sanders. <laughs> Magic's Lakers was it? Were they? Mm, they were weren't they great. good. They weren't great. They weren't See, I remember them being really good. But, you know, that's just the effect of Magic. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think the list would be very short, but that's for another time. All right, I just wanted to make note of Bradley and Rooney, and uh, best of luck to the both of you, whatever your future endeavors might be. And with that. We sit back and we uh, watch the build-up to the crew in Atlanta at uh, Lower.com on November 1st. Sold out. 7.30 kickoff for Game 1, best of three. It's going to be something else. That is going to be entertaining. And the kids these days call it lit. Lit. It's going to be lit. It's going to be off the shelf. All that stuff. In the meantime, enjoy Charlotte and Red Bulls on Wednesday. That should be something else. Like and subscribe to the Massport Podcast. We thank, uh, of course, our friends here at Saucy Brewers for having us again. For Brett, for Murph, for Sam, I'm Brian. We'll talk to you next week in the Massport Podcast.